Who are the Mountain Meisters? Committing to the goal and galvanizing you and your team behind that one single focus. Being at peace with that fear and being okay with it. You gain a real appreciation for your life and for what you have. Learn about their extreme lives on rock, snow, and ice five days a week with your hosts, Russell Wilcox and Ben Shank. Hello, Meister fans. Welcome to the show. This is Ben. Hey, guys. It's Russell. Today, we welcome Chris Noble. Chris is a writer and one of the world's leading adventure photographers. His works have appeared in hundreds of publications worldwide, including Life, National Geographic, Newsweek, Orion, Outside, Rolling Stone, Sports Illustrated, among many others. A former contributing editor at Powder and Outdoor Photograph magazines, one of Chris's latest projects is the book Women Who Dare, North America's Most Inspiring Women Climbers. Chris, welcome. Hey, thanks, you guys. So, Chris, we're super excited to have you here. Uh, my first encounter with you was actually at a book signing at the Outdoor Retailer Show. This past year, I got a copy of Women Who Dare. It's sitting right next to me. Thank you so much for providing that. And I was just curious, after reading through it, what did you have to do to have 20 of the best climbers in the world spew out their lives to you? <laughs> Well, that's the the hard part, honestly. Some of the women I had known for about 20 years or so, and I'd worked with them at different times, so there wasn't uh, a need to introduce myself and develop some rapport. But a lot of the younger climbers were all brand new. You know, they probably weren't even born 20 years ago, <laughs> some of them. And um, in that case, you're kind of in this position where you need to put them at ease, uh, for one thing. And And one thing we did do is we would do the photos – for several days ahead of time, I usually did the interviews that the profiles were based on at the end. So it wasn't like I just walked in there as a total stranger and uh, <laughs> like, hey, tell me all your secrets. But I, w I will say one thing that I ask everyone about relationships. And uh, that was the one thing people were kind of like, oh, I'm on tape. I'm not really going to answer that question. <laughs> yeah, we deal with that every day. We want to talk a lot about your book, actually. It just came out last year. We're going to get more into that later for our our listeners. But first, we want to focus a little bit more on your life and, and how you found yourself as a professional photographer. And uh, what was some of your previous experiences and what led you to where you are today? Yeah, I grew up in Ohio and uh, I spent a lot of time wandering around in the woods by myself, to tell you the truth. I was sort of introverted. And um, I guess when I look back at everything I've done, in some ways, those early experiences out in nature by myself, I've just tried to replicate that. I've tried to find a way to make a living and, and have those experiences at the same time. So I was also very interested in writing uh, in high school. Uh, I felt like I was a pretty good writer and I got some support from my teachers. And so my original intention was just to be a journalist or a creative writer, to tell you the truth. Mm. And I went off to college. At the same time, I always had drawn pictures and painted and things like that. So I was sort of, you know, artistic in a variety of ways. And when I was in college taking journalism classes and wanting to work for outdoor magazines, I thought, you know, maybe I should try uh, doing photography as well. And I started selling articles to Powder Magazine was my first pretty consistent client. And, you know, it was fun to do articles, but I realized pretty quickly, well, I should do the photos too. And so I kind of 
taught myself to do the ph photography to support that and combine those two things with writing. And then as time went on and I worked for bigger and bigger magazines, I became more disenchanted with the writing part of it, to tell you the truth. I mean, it takes a lot of work, a lot of time to write well. And, uh, you know, somebody once said that easy writing makes bad reading, and I would tend to agree <laughs> with that. And, uh, and the photos you know, have a life of their own beyond one piece, too. If you do a magazine article and you have all the photos for it, you can resell the photos down the line, whereas the text is very difficult to resell. So for a variety of reasons like that, I ended up just doing mostly photography. And, and I did that for about 20 years. And then the, the book, Women Who Dare, kind of brought me back uh, full circle. So I did all the writing for that, all that was based on these interviews, as we've mentioned, and all the photography as well. And I and I actually, I like that. I like to do both, to tell you the truth. Yeah, very interesting transition from the writing to the photography and now full circle. I'll be completely honest, honest with you. Photography, for some reason, doesn't really do it for me. Russell Russell knows this. I just, I think it's because I, I don't really know enough about photography to really appreciate it. What did you find that you loved about photography when that first kind of entered your life? Well, it's funny because I had, I mean, maybe I'm a little bit like you. I had no interest whatsoever in photography until I got a decent 35 millimeter camera, to tell you the truth. Like point and shoot photography to this day does not interest me. I don't do Instagram. I don't use my iPhone that way very often. Um, you know, the, the main reasons most people use cameras, which is to document friends and family, I'm poor at. I mean, I, I'm horrible, to tell you the truth. I'm not even invited to family gatherings because I can't bring the camera. So and, you're, and, you're not one of those guys who's like always snapping photos everywhere you go? <laughs> I know. I'm not one of those photographers. In fact, my friends go, God, I wouldn't even know you're a photographer because I've never seen you hold a camera. Yeah. You know, where other people are always wearing the vest and it's clear that they're a photographer. <laughs> so um, I'll just, I'll go on record with that first and then say that... It became interesting to me when I realized, wow, I can really go for the essence of these um, activities and experiences that I'm having. And I can really, with a single image, hopefully, you know, I can share something of what I've experienced. And I find that important, too, because I think you guys are on the same page here. You have all this outdoor experience. But, you know, what does it really mean if you can't bring it home and share it with everybody else? Yeah, very good point. When you're first getting into photography too, I'm I'm not that knowledgeable either, and I was very interested. And in I was actually before the podcast, I was thinking about starting a blog uh, along with Ben, and that was going to be our thing. But then we realized he's a good writer. I'm not very good at writing, but I thought I could learn the photography side of it. We still don't really know enough about it. So, how do you get that person, place, or thing that's in front of the camera to be exactly the way you want? Mm. Well, and I don't know if you ever get it exactly the way you want it. I think that um, I look at outdoor photography as a performing art, and I think that's a good place to start. In other words, it's a collaboration between your subject, whoever they may be, and that can range from you know a, a total pro to your best friend or your girlfriend. And um, but you know the key to it is this interaction, and the very very best photography usually comes when 
the subject understands photography as well. Like I remember I did a lot of work with Scott Schmidt when he was, you know, at the top of his game. And he was an amazing skier, not only because he had this specific style and he was so talented, but because he could kind of intuitively understand what I was trying to achieve with the image as well. So there wasn't a lot of time spent, you know, you're out there on the slope, I'm below the cliff somewhere screaming up instructions and the skier is standing up there 50, 60 feet above you, you know, if they don't get what you're trying to do, they're just going to jump out of frame. And uh, and so I think that's a good example. I mean, Scott was just a master at that. He he just knew how to style it and he knew, you know, how to turn it on right at that one second. As he said, it's like having the run of your life on demand. And that's really what. Yes, I want to I want to zoom in on that relationship between the photographer and then the subject, whoever it is, an athlete, a girlfriend, like you said. How do you make sure that you're not pushing the athlete to do something that they're not comfortable with just for the shot? I think that's essential. I always started off with that. I really, And in fact, I avoided working with people who um, – I felt might take extra risk just because the camera was there. Um, I made it always really very, very clear up front that I didn't want anybody to do anything they weren't comfortable with and that they absolutely would not, that they would have done that same stunt or action, whatever it is, whether I was there or not. Because, yeah, I mean, you do not want to document somebody getting hurt. Mm -hmm. You certainly don't want to lead to that result. I did some work with um, Dan Osman, who obviously pushed the envelope all the time. And yeah, it bothered me. Like I remember one morning we were on top of El Cap. He had shown up the day before. I think he had a toothache. He wasn't feeling very well. And he said, you know, I'm going to, I'll jump off uh, the top of the Don Wall tomorrow morning. I'll just tie off on one end of the rope and uh, <laughs> jump off on the other. And we're like, oh, my God, seriously? I mean, you know, like, Dan, if you want to do that, great, but don't do it because we're all standing here. So he, you know, he tied a pack on the rope and threw it off a couple times and watched the way it bounced. And the next morning we all got up uh, when the sun came up and um, went over and stood on the wall. And there were these guys climbing up El Cap. They were on their last day. So they're on a portal edge down there, just kind of at the edge of sight. And I think they were just waking up. They heard us talking on top and they get out and they're kind of rubbing their eyes. And Dan just jumps off, you know, on a 165 foot rope, goes hurtling down. And you could just hear these two guys on the port ledge go like, holy shit. <laughs> and um, and then he takes like 360 foot bounces. And, mm -hmm. you know, I did take the photos, but I was I don't think I got very good photos. I mean, it was a difficult thing to photograph anyway. But it was like, oh, I, I just was so nervous about the whole endeavor. Right. <sighs> And then I went to Kyrgyzstan with Dan and, uh, you know, he did some other kind of reckless things. And it, it was kind of interesting because, I mean, I think he did it because he wanted to be respected. Mm -hmm. But a lot of the people I knew, that actually had the opposite effect. You're kind of like, oh, I don't really trust this guy's judgment. And so it makes you leery. Mm -hmm. And uh, so to answer your question, I don't want people to do that. I don't want to push it. Um, I just want to take pictures. You know, I want to take beautiful pictures in nature and it doesn't have to be the most extreme thing possible. Yep. Do you find that that makes it more difficult for you to compete because your image, even though it's, it's breathtaking and it's gorgeous, it's doesn't have that like viral feel of yeah. holy cow. That's a good question. Yeah. What does that affect you at all in your career? Uh, you know, 
I don't think it has. And, you know, actually, I've taken some holy cow shots for sure. But mm. most of the people that I've taken those pictures of are so bloody good that they're just, I mean, it's just remarkable. But they were well within their safety limits. And again, you know, it was their idea, their project. They asked me to come along. So I wasn't the instigator, to tell you the truth. I think, speaking to your point, more in the modern day, there's so much competition in photography anyway. I don't even I don't even think that way. I, I just think that, uh, you know, you do the best you can. And, you know, in, in my mind, actually, some of the most remarkable photos are the more subtle ones, to tell you the truth. Mm. Yeah. So Russell mentioned the breathtaking aspect. And you, yes, I looked through a lot of your pictures and very breathtaking, one of which I thought was very interesting because, like I said, I don't really know how to dissect a photo, but I was looking at a photo of a climber and you know, a lot of your photography does emphasize maybe the human anatomy and then also the scenery. And she had tattoos mm -hmm. and the tattoos jumped out at me. Does that affect your photography at all? And do you like to implement, I guess, climbers with tattoos? Uh, no, in fact, although I have nothing against it and I would mm -hmm. certainly photograph more people for the same reasons you're actually uh, describing. Um, that woman yeah, I only got to work with her a couple times, and um, it was interesting because Climbing Magazine had a sister publication, Urban Climber, at that time, and they used that shot on their cover, mm -hmm. and they thought it was, you know, they just thought it was the perfect shot for Urban Climber, and uh, yes, so yeah, I just think that that's interesting. I don't have a, a strong feeling either way. Like I, I don't go looking for people with tattoos or any kind of spatial features necessarily. Part of it's just finding people that are just really good at what they do. I think that's the most appealing, just the talent. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I want to move forward a little bit more. We could talk about photography, I'm sure, for the rest of the episode. But we also want to focus on your book that came out last year, Women Who Dare. So the way it's described is North America's most inspiring women climbers, celebrating the athleticism, wisdom, and grace of 20 prominent women climbers. So could you tell the listeners a little bit more about the book and then also what inspired you to write it? Sure. Um, the book, well, there was a time, uh, believe it or not, you guys, when, you know, film photography kind of came to an end and, and uh, digital started and a lot of photographers were, <laughs> a lot of photographers just quit right then. And uh, I was, you know, like everyone else, I was in a transition and I had some time and I looked back over my entire career and looked at a lot of my favorite images and I realized, wow, a lot of the shots I like the most have to do with women in some kind of relationship with nature. It wasn't necessarily climbing. It could be skiing or river running or anything else. And I thought, I started thinking about, I wonder if there's a project that I could go more in depth along those lines. And so I sent out some book proposals about women and wilderness hmm. uh, originally and talked to a bunch of different publishers. And really the general feeling was across the board that you know, we couldn't find a subject or a, a way to approach that subject that was focused enough to guarantee commercial success in a book. But one of the publishers was Globe Pequot Falcon. They're, Globe Pequot owns Falcon. And um, they came back to me a couple years later and said, oh, we'd really like to do a calendar of women climbers. And would you like to shoot it? And I said, sure, you know, that'd be awesome. So we did that for a year. And then I just said, look, you know, we're not, we're just kind of missing the point here. We're scratching the surface, basically. These people are so talented, but we're only capturing one aspect of them, which is their appearance. And it would be 
great to do a book that you know went into more depth. And so they agreed, and uh, that's why we did the book. So that was the inspiration for it right there. Yeah, yeah that's great. I, I really enjoyed reading about all the women. They're, they're all so inspiring. And I want to do something which we haven't really done in an interview yet, and that's what some people call lightning questions. So I'm going to ask you these questions, and it's directly inspired from the book. At the end of each story that the women have, usually you ask a similar three or four questions. So I'm going to turn it around to your life. I hope you're okay with that. And I hope Ben's okay with me taking over the interview right now because he's not going to get to talk. <laughs> it doesn't even matter if either of us disagree. You're stuck, Chris. So, <laughs> All right, far away. So at the end, one of the questions that you ask that comes up almost every time you're talking about one of the women is, what is your favorite place to climb? And so I'm going to turn this around and say, what is your favorite place to take pictures? Oh, that's a great question and a hard one. And, uh, you know, I don't really have one favorite place, although, uh, I mean, I return to Southern Utah. I live in Utah, so I return to Southern Utah over and over and over again. So I guess if I had to choose a place, I might say that was one of my favorites. But I've been to the Himalayas a lot. I've been to Alaska a lot. I, uh, I've been to Chamonix is an amazing place. So, I mean, there's so many great places to go and they all have different qualities. So it would be hard to say, I want to limit myself to one, honestly. I'm just saying, Russell, this is a really good idea because I think Chris is starting to gain an appreciation for the people who originally had to answer these questions. <laughs> all right, well, we'll, we'll keep it going then. Uh, so next question, if you could offer one essential tip to other climbers, what would it be? And so for you, if you could offer one essential tip to other artists, what would it be? Just to be yourself, you know, to absolutely trust your own vision and quit worrying about what everybody else is doing because that'll drive you crazy. I mean, nobody can keep up with current trends these days. They move so fast. So I think the most essential thing for any artistic person is the courage to um, be themselves and find their own voice in whatever medium they work in. Okay, great. So how do you train? And so for you, how do you improve your skills? Yeah, that's a good question, too, and I'm not sure how to answer it. Um, you know, I guess you shoot a lot. The beauty of digital is you're not buying film, so there's no excuse not to take an enormous amount of photographs. But at the same time, if you take so many, you don't really pay attention to them. You're just churning stuff out, and you're not really learning anything. So I think maybe... Um, a good way to improve would be to make a self-assignment. Choose a subject and go in really depth on it. Pretend like you're going to make 25 awesome prints of on one subject, like do a photo documentary or something. And then, you know, really go through carefully and become not hypercritical of your own work, but sensitive to what works and what doesn't in your own mind. And then, you know, try to create the biggest, strongest body of work you can. I think that's a great exercise for anybody, no matter where they are in their career. Yeah. Yeah. Great tip. Uh, I'm going to finish with one final one and then we can move on. Do you ever feel unmotivated to climb is one of very interesting question that I saw you ask. And so do you ever feel unmotivated to write and take pictures? Absolutely. Like everybody, you get tired. And um, it's funny because uh, I want I want to start a new book project now. And people are like, already? And don't you want to rest? It's like, well, I, yeah, I'd love to take 10 years off, but I feel like I'm too old to do that. So I, I just need to keep doing it. And uh, yeah, I mean, especially these big projects that are multi-year, it's kind of like an expedition that takes two years. It's just, it's hard to find the motivation to keep going. I, I think you have to be very disciplined, both. It's very similar to climbing, you know, it's like 
you get up in the morning and you go to work, uh, just like any other job. Even though there's not a boss with a gun to your head, you got to go down there and you, you produce. And that's, uh, that's important. That's how you get things done. Yeah, definitely a lot of parallels to the real world. And I also wanted to ask you, Chris, some people in the real world aren't able to really combine passion with their career. They're kind of separated. But for you, it seems like there's definitely some overlap there. What advice would you have for someone who has a passion and has a career, but they're not necessarily combined? Yeah. And sometimes that's a good thing, honestly, even though people don't think it is. Uh, to tell you the truth, I'm, you know, obviously I meet a lot of young and student photographers. And one thing I say is, don't be so worried about making a living from it. I mean, maybe it would be better. Maybe it'll stay fresher for you if this is your, you know, so-called hobby. Hobby has somewhat of a negative connotation. But the fact is, there's some incredible amateur photographers working out there in the world that do do something else for work. But then, you know, whenever they get a chance, they go and they really concentrate on that art or that craft. And I think there's something to be said for that. At the same time, if you do want to combine the two, you're going to have to probably in this day and age, I think you have to be creative. You're going to have to find a lot of different ways to make things come together. I think we all realize that whether you're doing a podcast or anything else, the income stream comes from a lot of different sources. So, you know, I, I did well by starting off doing magazine articles, which then led to advertising contracts which pay real money and I still think that's true I mean once you get your name out there where a lot of people see it you are asked to do other things and you know you may a lot of people complain because magazines don't pay very well but I almost look at it like free advertising where you might get a little of a paycheck too because it's it's important to get your name out in front of people mm -hmm. and one of my early policies was just to try to let one other possible client know about me every single day mm -hmm. Uh, and the only thing, the other thing I'll say about that too is, you know, don't ever burn any bridges because people just always move, move around. Like when somebody mistreats you or disrespects you or something, just bite your tongue and move on because, you know, unloading on them, they're just going to be an art director at some other place you want to work in a month or so anyway. So it just doesn't pay to do that. Yeah, great advice. It's something I've thought about a lot. I don't know why, but one area that I really thought about is when I was younger, I was really into tennis. And so if I could somehow be a professional tennis player, I thought I'd be the happiest person in the world. But then you hear about people. Yeah, Andre Agassi. Yeah, well, on, well, he hates it. And he, he's always hated it. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, it's it's kind of ruined his life. And so to have that difference. <laughs> Wait, I don't know if it's ruined his life. It has. Read his book. <laughs> yeah, no, I, you, I read you, his book. Read I Open? read Open. Yeah. It's great. It's good. Very good book. He wishes he had more than a ninth grade education. But, yeah, that's you know. true. <laughs> anyways, that's a, that's another topic that we'll, we'll skip. So anyways, great point there that, you know, you don't have to do the thing you're most passionate about too, but if you can make it work, that's great. Something that I have to ask you just because our listeners love it and you're so ingrained in the outdoor industry, what piece of gear would you recommend for our outdoorsy listeners? Well, you know, since we're talking about photography, I've had a relationship with Lowepro for years and they've just made my life possible. And uh, and I couldn't do what I do without the packs that they make. So they make this um, camera pack called the Top Loader Pro that I use all the time for that. For women who dare, that was like an essential piece of gear because I could haul the camera up on the wall. It doesn't get beat to death in the process and it's quick access. So um, 
if there are people that are you know thinking about climbing photography or any other sport for that matter i think low pro makes a product you know nothing's perfect for everybody you kind of have to get used to it and um that's one of the challenges for these manufacturers to try to make things that are broadly applicable to a variety of activities so um i think that they've got a really great line of stuff Awesome. Thank you. Yeah, we'll throw that on your Meister profile page on our website, Chris. And to wrap things up, we want to ask you one more question. You know, we were talking before the interview a little bit about this and how the sport of climbing has seen so much growth lately, but specifically it's a lot of climbers coming from the gym to outdoors climbing. And you were talking about how that could potentially become a problem. Could you tell our listeners a little bit more about that? Sure. I mean, what's what's going on is that, you know, the sport is exploding. I mean, it's kind of remarkable. Um, indoor gym climbing is spreading very, very rapidly. I think there's something like 887 indoor gyms in the United States and Canada right now, and, and they're building more every year, which is great news. I mean, we all, you know, I think climbing is a great sport, so I'm glad to see people participate in it. But at the same time, everybody that's learning in a gym is not getting an education on how to behave properly when they go outdoors. And and it doesn't matter who you are as a climber, you have some impact when you go outdoors. Like just walking on trails, you know, causes uh, deterioration of the vegetation and soil compaction and a variety of things. So right now, the uh, Access Fund, which is an organization that helps keep climbing open in the United States outdoors, they think it's the number one challenge facing them today, you know, because we're having literally millions of new climbers venturing outdoors for the first time. So I wrote an article for Climbing Magazine in last month's um, issue about this and talked a little bit about it. And I know the Access Fund is doing things. The American Alpine Club is going to initiate an education program. And um, I'm not knocking new climbers at all. I mean, they, most of them all want to do the right thing. The problem is they don't quite know what the right thing is to do. So I think a lot of different entities are coming together to try to help bridge that education gap. Yeah, and I think there are a lot of changes happening in all of the policies when it comes to climbing as well. I was talking to Phil Powers at the OR show, and he sees that as a big issue. He's the president of American Alpine Club. And so huge issue, definitely for our listeners. We'll put links to all the different things that Chris was talking about in this interview, Access Fund, American Alpine Club. Also, check out his website, noblephoto.com, and that's photo with an F. So thank you so much for coming on the show, Chris. It's been a pleasure. Great questions, you guys. Thanks so much. Thanks for tuning in, Meister fans, to Chris Noble's episode. Russell, will you be partaking in any activities this weekend that are reminiscent of what Eric Boomer does, our next guest? Well, I don't plan on going off 100-foot waterfalls because that would probably kill me, but I think I'm going to do some canoeing with my two puppies. (laughs) Good enough. Have fun, Russell. Hey, guys, join us next time. We have Eric Boomer on the show. Great guy. A lot of fun to talk to. Tune in then.